0: Welcome back to the Fraudology Podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick, and welcome to our first official episode of 2022. I am so glad you're here. Before I share with you a little bit about the interview you're about to hear, I am pretty honored to say that this episode is brought to you by Sion. I'll be sharing more about them later in this episode and in the next few weeks. But in the meantime, you can check them out at seon.io. So this week, I'm bringing to you the first part of a conversation I had with Gil Rosenthal. I think if any of you have listened to this podcast for any amount of time, you've picked up on the fact that one of my favorite things about interviewing other fraud fighters is getting to introduce you, my audience, to really smart fraud fighters. We all have different perspectives and in this emerging industry those perspectives are really valuable. And so I really enjoy getting to dive in and talk about other people's experiences, what they see, what's worked for them, etc. Today is no exception. I got to speak with Gil Rosenthal. He spent a good chunk of the first part of his career at PayPal working on really innovative fraud fighting tactics and risk mitigation strategies with some of the smartest people in fraud fighting in the world, in my opinion. Uh, I'm lucky to know several of the people he worked with, at least when he was in the Tel Aviv office, and know how integral they were to taking care of a lot of the early issues that PayPal had. So after learning a lot there, Gil went on to Bluevine, which is a lending provider primarily to businesses online. It's in the fintech space, and in 2020, he had a very front row seat to PPP fraud. If any of you have been following any of the headlines at all, it's been estimated that there's well over $100 billion in fraud in the Paycheck Protection Program within the U.S., Uh, That was offered to US citizens. However, now we know that international fraud rings also profited from it, uh, too. Uh, Recently, in an article by Frank McKenna on Frank on Fraud, he said that they can, at the very least, identify $76 billion in fraud that went out in PPP loans. That's a 15% fraud rate. There were some things that Gil couldn't talk about uh, because there are pending legal issues primarily against fraudsters not talking about the fintechs or anything like that but he wanted to be cautious about what he could and couldn't share but I really appreciated what he didn't share and I think that you all will learn a lot more than we've been able to in any article uh, that you've read before about it so I highly recommend listening on to this interview for that Uh, as well as he talks about risk and fraud threats targeting the fintech industry Uh, He now is an advisor to early stage fintechs, including card issuers, lenders, crypto, investment apps, new payment methods, etc. It's a whole other world. And there's a lot of people that are moving from e-commerce to fintech or fintech to e-commerce. I think the lines are getting blurred a lot. And then I've also talked about this on previous episodes recently about how the ecosystem and the trust within the ecosystem is so important. And so next week we're going to geek out on a specific issue he's identified that is really impacting the entire payments ecosystem in really unique ways and i don't think is getting as much attention as it should because it's really being identified in the silos and not being recognized from the 10,000 foot view about how it's poisoning those silos and working its way through the ecosystem specifically if you're in fintech and seeing a huge uptick in charge offs or you work for a merchant and are seeing an increase in friendly fraud chargebacks You're definitely going to want to make sure you're subscribed to this podcast to be alerted when next week's part two episode is released, because I think that he's going to blow your mind on what's happening and what the root cause of some of that is. Uh, This is a conversation he and I started back in November and then finished uh, just recently. And so uh, I'm really looking forward to you hearing it, to getting your take on it and all of that. I just love your guys' feedback. Please rate and review where you can, whether it's Apple Podcasts or now you can rate in Spotify, which is pretty exciting. You don't don't have to or you can't even make a review. But if you listen to this on Spotify, I would love a five-star review if you think that we earned it. So with that, I'm going to let you listen in on this awesome conversation with my friend Gil, and I look forward to talking with you soon. That was a little bit of a long intro, but Gil, I hope that gave you just even a little bit of you know, recognition for your hard work. And thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Curry And it's great to...
0: I want for my audience to get to know you a little better. So let's start at the beginning. How did you get started as a fraud fighter and why Why do you stay? I mean, I guess we kind of talked a little bit about the puzzle part, but uh, what... Yeah. What keeps
1: you going in it? So I, um, I actually got started with fraud fighting because I dropped out of college and I dropped out of college, wasn't really fitting for me and wasn't a good thing, wasn't working. Um, and within less than two months, also um, um, lost my job, which was a student job. So it makes sense that once I wasn't hmm. a student anymore, they, they were like, okay, sorry. Hmm. Um but I was working in in QA, I was doing quality assurance testing and at a very basic, basic level of clicking buttons to make sure that the website works hmm. and doesn't break. Um, and 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 a friend of mine um, um, suggested that I try interviewing at PayPal because he was working there. Um, and I interviewed for a risk analyst role at PayPal, and this was the Tel Aviv office that was basically built on top of um, an acquired startup called Fraud Sciences. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I got the job. And they, um, for the first three weeks of my job there, put me in a room with probably the best fraud teacher I've seen in the business, um, who is our mutual friend who actually introduced us, which is mm-hmm. um, a woman named Glitzaporta. Mm-hmm. She is amazing. And in, and, and her Joy for this type of work is very infectious, and it is. I just loved it. And it uh, and everything kind of clicked in a way that they haven't before or since in, in any other type of role
2: mm-hmm.
1: I've tried taking on. So, um, I, I think that was the how I got my start, and mm-hmm. then um, I, I keep doing it because I really love have kind of that interaction between investigations and business research mm-hmm. and operations and technology. Like there's so many different areas where that you can learn in, have like try to solve puzzles and have challenges, um, um, deep dive, and, and there's always more to do. Like there, there's no perfect, right? There's yeah. always, okay, we've gotten this efficient, this good. Let's let's do another 10. Let's do another 20%. Let's see mm-hmm. where we can we can do even better. And so there's like never an end in that perspective. It's a
0: never-ending puzzle. And those of us who are masochists really love that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, yeah. And 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 I view it more from that perspective than from the like fraud keeps evolving, so we have to keep evolving, though hmm. that is obviously hundred percent true. But from my perspective, it's more about like e- even if fraud was constant, there would always be more to do and, and yeah. always can More be to better.
0: optimize, more details to get into the weeds, more to understand about your business and your customers, more to understand about, you know, all, yeah, there's always more. Exactly.
2: So,
1: so I, it's just like a lot, really fun and really fulfilling for most of the time.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, and sometimes when it, when it isn't fulfilling, it's often not because, or when it's, you know, not as fun or good, it's often not because of the fraud piece. It's usually because of like company politics or, or other issues there, right? It's not necessarily the, it's just, it, it does connect to so many different parts of the business. Um, and obviously there's a balance between you know, customer acquisition and, and fraud and all of that. So sometimes there can be a bit of a, you know, a rub. We all know yeah, it well.
1: There's definitely a rub. And and also to like to their credit, when fraudsters get you and re, like really get you those that stings. And I think this like, is true. I, any any fraud fighter will say that, like, you remember the places where you got stung much more than you remember, like the successes you prevented and never like nothing even materialized there. Right. right. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, let's actually, let's go there then. You started, I'm going to hop over one question to go to the next one. Um, One recent fraud phenomena that you had a front row seat to fairly recently was PPP loan fraud in the U.S. I'd I'd imagine that's a time when you're like, ah, fraudsters got me for a short minute. Um, And it wasn't a Bluevine specific thing. This was any company offering loans to businesses. As you know, a reminder to our listeners as a result of a result of COVID's impact on small businesses, the US government made funds available to small business owners. And so while that was the intention, unfortunately, a lot of fraud occurred as well. There are so many headlines about it. That's why, you know, I think both of us can talk about it to an extent. I know you can't share as many details as um I would probably love for you <laughs> to publicly, but uh, what was that experience like for? Online business-to-business business lenders. I, I'd imagine you didn't get a lot of sleep, you know, for a few
1: months. No, no that sleep was a rare commodity. Definitely, I think it it was an insane roller coaster. That's the best way for me to mm. describe it. So basically, um, the way I, I would describe it is, we had it was the company is launching a new product, um, and you're being informed of that, and then you're also being informed that that product is going to be about twenty x normal volume no, no big deal just like this like get get ready here like
0: the is so than- about to
1: come yeah exactly and you have three weeks to prepare um now and, and um it's only going to be around for a few weeks or a few months so don't until it runs out yeah so don't overwork it and because it, it's 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 temporary it's temporary and then also, um, there are like regulations, in terms and conditions of what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do it. But they're going to change about once a week, to the point where you have to constantly adjust and change just to, for the regulations. Forget about what fraud you're seeing or what um, what pressure you're seeing. Mm-hmm. Just the regulations, you have to you have to constantly adjust to. And it's a product that is basically giving money away. This is not. True lending, this is that mm-hmm. most of it was like advertised right by the government. This is right. going to be forgiven. So massive roller coaster. And, and 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 I I led both the fraud prevention and the like operational processing piece of wow. this. Program. And um that was um very, very, very intensive. And um and and the flip side of it is. It was one of the most satisfying Hmm. things I did in my career because we helped so many people and it was a pandemic and so many people needed help. And my
0: business was one of them the second time around, not the first time, but the second time around. And and I used Bluevine for all, you know, uh, that's who like other entrepreneurs that I knew said they're the best. Um, So yeah, Yeah. thank you for that.
1: I'm I'm happy you were. I don't think you
0: knew that actually. so it's not like I called you and was like, "Hey, approve my application." (laughs)
1: Like, (laughs) no, I I I think by the time we started talking, the program was over. So yeah, uh, yeah, this is. But that was the satisfying part. I had Mm -hmm. I I personally had conversations with, um, with with bars who were trying to Mm. because everyone did everything right. We weren't. I was working weekends. I was. Working 14 hour days. I I clearly remember a couple of weekends where we thought money is going to run out. So I sat down and, <laughs> for the weekend processed 150 loans because that that's that's the best thing I can do right hmm. now. Cause I can't, there's no additional automation to be done. There's no additional things to be built. So I'll sit down and I'll do what all of my analysts are doing. And again, we we were able to give out or help give out from Bluevine's perspective, billions of dollars to hundreds of thousands of business owners, I never felt that level of satisfaction. And mm. yes, fraudsters in some places got us and it was painful. And um, there are many things that could have gone better in that program. And there are a lot of things like, I'm gonna be careful about diving into about, but we've understand, seen a lot understand. of- manipulated documents and stolen identity and uh and other types of fraud from other perspectives um really like um tested everything right like any mm-hmm. potential tiny hole in the system was tested um and the flip side of that is uh this was a pandemic right like the, the right. It, I, I have a lot of um things I would potentially have done differently from the regulator's side and from how to create and like create a, a network so that all of these different lenders who are trying to lend to basically the same people are hmm. right, able to to learn from what each other are seeing. And, mm-hmm. But this was built as an emergency that there's like, it's very important. Uh, and it
0: stuff. wasn't built by people who understood risk and, and fraud inherently in the way we do, right? You were, just to clarify, you know, you, my understanding from you as well as other people that were, you know, in similar roles over PPP funds, as as well as, you know, SBA and some of the other things as well that got taken advantage of, but also helped a lot of great companies you weren't making the rules, right? You weren't making the regulations about what was allowed and what wasn't. You were just simply doling it out. So it wasn't, they weren't exactly the the fraud prevention uh, best practices or tools or systems or whatever that, that you would do on other products because this wasn't your money per se. It was somebody else's but, money and they were saying, hey, care about this, don't care about this, do this, do that. And it was changing all the time.
1: So it's not just that it was not- not our money because we, in other situations, uh, like I, I was involved in places where, where it wasn't the company's money, oh, right, liability, but but we cared a lot. Oh, about uh, it.
0: yes, and thank
1: right, you
2: for clarifying right that. I mean. Yeah,
0: yeah, it wasn't yeah. like you were like, oh, it's not our money, <laughs> we're gonna spend it. Like, that's not what I meant. But thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. yeah, but like because it wasn't you, there were other things at play, right? That's kind yeah. of what I meant. Yeah,
1: yeah, the regulations and the conditions of the program. Were set by um, the government agency, the SBA, and um, and I'll be very honest. I don't know how I would have done, if I would have been able to do better given mm-hmm. the time frame and the urgency right. and the uncertainty. The program ended multiple times during during the first iteration of it. Right, yeah. just in 2020, it ended multiple times, including and at the beginning of July where we thought the program was over and then a few congressmen i think went on the floor and extended it and suddenly we were being told on this on the day it was supposed to end when we were already sending clients away we're being told actually you got another six weeks keep running so um yeah it was very chaotic which is (laughs) what it sounds like (laughs)
0: <laughs> which sometimes but, look can be messy right like just yeah. very like changing all the time exactly but that's
1: that's what happens in a pandemic right yeah. and yeah. and it, if this was a product that would have kept running for two years yeah there's so much that can be done better and improved and and if and I'm sure that um people at on, at the SBA level are looking at how things went not just with PPP, but also mm-hmm. with um, other their other program, the eidL mm-hmm. uh, program and and are like taking notes and then and learning learning lessons for when they're going to do other programs in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I, from my perspective, um, there was huge satisfaction in how many people we were able to to help and how many mm-hmm. people came back to us saying, Thanks to you, I still have a business, and yeah. I don't think I would have without it. And and that, like, they needed someone, a player a player like Bluevine, and other fintech companies to step in and b- build that like fully automated. Um, yeah fully automated process that is easy to go through that doesn't require a financial advisor or an accountant to walk them through it.
0: Or going into a bank because again, mm-hmm. pandemic, like, exactly, <laughs> you know, yeah, I can really, I'm really glad that you're choosing to look at it through that lens primarily rather than, Oh, you know, all this stuff, happened. because I do think that the majority of, of it was going to the right people for the right reasons. And, I think sometimes it can be a challenge for those of us in fraud to focus on that smaller percentage, but it's the percentage we spend most of our time looking at um, than the bigger impact. And I can say a lot of what you're saying is resonating with me. I have think I've shared on previous episodes that I worked with one of the states that was impacted most by unemployment fraud pretty quickly. And then I was also reaching out to other states and the SBA and EIDL kind of as an outsider you know, beyond the scope of what I was working on with that one state saying, Hey, this is a real big problem. And I don't really care if you hire me or someone else, but like, you really need to look at this. And there were a lot of people that put their fingers in their ears and didn't want to hear it. And I, there's some irony in some of the emails I'm sure I have still in my inbox of particular people telling me there was no front, there was no problem. Um, and <laughs> the, the headlines say otherwise, um, but. I what I was looking at, you know, what what drove me most in working with that state was thinking about the people who their applications were held up because everything was manually being reviewed and because there was fraud. Then, you know, it was just it was taking six to eight weeks to get any money in their accounts and they needed to feed their children. Um it, that has a much more real impact and, and real life impact than people shopping online or people, you know, other courses of our business, you know, when you're a PayPal or other things, it, it just kind of brought a little more real world impact to it that I think is yeah. important to look at,
1: yeah, and be aware of. It, like a lot of times when we move the needle, we move it in incremental ways. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's hard to see the people that you made their lives better because mm-hmm. of it and and say okay i'm the cause for their lives being better and here there was that almost instant gratification mm-hmm. of, of like someone that you help sending like writing on the message board sending an email sending in letters saying mm-hmm. okay this was a lifesaver and that that just doesn't happen every day that you're, you're able to step in and help and Uh, in a situation like that. So I think that also
2: speaks
0: to things that are online, right? There's less of a human interaction. And so you don't always know the impact because you're between there's, you know, each entity is behind a computer screen, thousands of miles or kilometers away, and you don't get to see the impact like you do face to face. And so when you do have those moments, it's important to to realize them, you just completely reminded me of a story I heard two days ago, actually, from somebody who's in event ticketing, who said that, um you know, they never really similar, right? Like they hadn't really thought about the impact of their job. It kind of felt like they were playing whack-a-mole or hand-to-hand combat with bad guys. But then they went to a pretty epic concert and they got to be in like VIP, like just a couple rows behind like where the lead singer who's very very famous was and it was very cool and they said the two rows in front of them had been bought up by a fraudster and they had recognized that so they had canceled those tickets and gotten them back out into the market so legitimate fans people that really loved this band and there's a lot of them um could see it and she was watching, or they were watching with sheep. There's, you know, I don't think I'm narrowing it down too much, but ticketing, well, you know, there's,
2: there's
0: five or six companies it could be, um, where at least, uh, where uh, they were watching the people watching the concert and going, wow, if I wouldn't have stopped that bad guy, you wouldn't have this life changing event. And on top of that, one of the people in that row, proposed to the other person and so she's like now this is like you know and and I don't think any many of us stop and, and take a moment to think about the impact of that so I hope that like I don't know I feel like there's a reason why that came up two days ago and then you and I are talking about it so I guess this is my reminder to listeners to like take just a minute and think about the impact of what you do. Podology is now brought to you by Sardine. So what is Sardine? I mean... Other than a small oily fish in the herring family, Sardine is a fraud tech platform that was ultimately built by fraud fighters for fellow fraud fighters with the features that they wanted in a fraud provider when they worked for companies within financial services, e-commerce, digital banking, and consumer lending. They're a team who geeks out on the same minute data that indicate a fraud pattern or anomaly as we do, and they run investigations every day. Sardine's product is even measured with the same KPIs as you probably are. More specifically, Sardine has combined more than 30 data providers into one tool for you, benchmarked for performance into a single dashboard and API that can be used for KYC, AML, and payment fraud detection. But crucially, they also allow Sardine customers to use their own data, to access their own data, as well as the results from all data providers they work with and the features Sardine has created, as they, their customers, need to use them. There's no more mysterious black box that calculates the risk of new accounts, logins, or transactions and magically turns them into a score. That was most likely based on attributes that look risky to other business models. For some clients they use Sardines as their full stack for all account onboarding, transaction monitoring, case management, etc. Others use them as a sophisticated data provider. Basically, Sardine fits to you rather than vice versa. So, If you want to see for yourself that the product you've always wanted finally exists, you can book a demo at www.sardine.ai or by clicking the link in the show notes for today's episode. It's not just about protecting your company's bottom line, though that's incredibly important. There is a real impact to the safety. Um, and to what your company provides to people, whether it's, you know, memories or or retail items or uh, trips or funding a business. I mean, how much more real can you get than that, you know?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's very, it, I think it's- Perspective is, yeah. Yeah, and, and to appreciate appreciate the contribution, right? Because yeah. you need that fuel to keep you going through um, the, the rougher patches and the rubs.
0: Mm. Very, very true. Because again, we often look at the you know the glass half empty, so to speak. Because we're looking at the the worst five percent that comes through you know, your website, right? Whatever that is.
1: Yeah, um, it, it won't a fraud you won't be a good fraud, fraud fighter. You be a good if you weren't at least somewhat inclined to look at the glass half empty. Stuff. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Skepticism kind of comes with the job, and it needs to. Uh, it's you know kind of like how our you know our Brains focus on negative to keep us safe and keep our physical entity safe. Like we have to, as fraud fighters, have to focus on the negative to keep our company safe. We have to, you know, do that. But it is very important to be intentional about taking a step back and having some perspective. Otherwise, we'd all be walking around like you know, Eeyore or something. <laughs> exactly. We all have our days of that, but you know, it's important to even it out. So, going a step back just a little bit, can you share a little bit about what fraud and risk threats can look like for financial institutions, such as the ones you've worked for? So, um, as as well as the companies you work with now. I mean, from an attack vectors to space like synthetic fraud, ID theft, and then what's on the line, right? I mean, I assume since it's money, there's a lot to protect. Yeah.
1: So, um, I think there are like there's transactional fraud. Which mm. is a, a account over account take over stolen funds, which could be stolen cards or stolen bank account details. Um, exit accounts, um, which are when uh, accounts that are created to receive stolen funds and then monetize them. So, mm. um, and 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 abuse, friendly fraud, family fraud, whatever moniker you you would give. Um,
0: First party. That. There's so many terms. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. and then and then. That would be more on the transaction side. On the lending side, it's definitely like a a lot more about um, the identity of who is taking the money. So Mm -hmm. it's a lot, a lot more focused on separating between third-party fraud, such as stolen identities and synthetic identities. I've, uh, we've seen accountants committing fraud. We've seen organized crimes. We've seen um, like solo fraudsters and hackers committing preventing fraud um, and and have some like quite wild stories with some of e- each of those um, on the lending side. But then there's also the first party frauds that like um, bust outs and and um, that are bust just-
0: out fraud is something that I've heard of, but I don't know if everyone that's listening is hearing about it. So these are the kinds of terms like, you know, we have terms on our institute like that. Yeah. It'd be helpful but for you to explain it.
1: That would be when someone, um, basically cleans out their account. So if you take a loan, clean out your account, as soon as you took the loan and you're gone, and then come find me, uh, I'm in Aruba kind of thing. Um, that So um, a lot of times they'll take multiple loans, they'll do what's called um, stacking. So they'll mm. take lo- loans from as many lenders as they can, get that into their bank account, then clean out their bank account. And now that's their vacation fund or their, um, uh, and we've seen cases like that. Um, there are just pure abusers, people who take a loan with no intent to pay it back. And um, there are different types of abusers. There's manipulators, there's social engineering um, where and in social engineering, a lot of times there's third parties involved, but because they're able to get the first party to participate, mm. uh, including we've seen things like faking um, faking, a like a lending company so that people will apply to that lending company uh, and they'll take those, lo- that's you get all the information, information and, and you can basically whatever I can think of asking from the real borrower, they can go ask with their fake website. Right. So, um, yeah, that there's definitely a, like a large host of potential, um, attack vectors and but there are a lot of tools and a lot of industry knowledge and i think that industry knowledge has grown quite a lot in the last three four years yeah there are a few very strong vendors in the market um uh, that are uh helping the industry get to its next step and its next level and I, I think that's great um and then and then there's banking which basically has both like all of the above like all the hmm. transaction problems, all of the lending problems or client acquisition problems are like concentrate, concentrate them like in companies that are building banks and definitely neobanks. And because these are, um, in a lot of ways, fraudsters are very good at being early adopters. Mm-hmm. So like some, or at least some of them, there are ones that are just sitting there waiting for you to become Big enough and, and a public enough name, right? But right. Th- but some of but some of them are just gonna jump on whatever in, whatever is new in shiny, and and try and find all the weaknesses and all the holes. Yeah. So So, um, in the early stages, it, it's a lot, like it's a lot more difficult. You need to teach them that you're not a target. <laughs> um, yeah. And that that takes a while.
2: And
0: unfortunately, there's a lot of companies, e-commerce as well as fintech, especially this. I don't know if this is the right term, but like, I almost feel like it's B2C, like business to consumer fintech has really, as you said, exploded in the last few years. And I do think that some of the reasons why innovation have been able to happen is because of some strong vendors on the back end that are providing some core technology, as you said, uh, to that space. Um, We were just talking offline about, you know, a couple of them, that their valuations are going big, but there's a reason for it um, because they're really able to they're enabling innovation because they've got a core system and service and tool but um at the same time I think that there's a lot of like on the b2c side especially and and I'm sure some of the same names are coming to our head at the same time but um where some of them have done a really good job at stopping the fraudsters ahead of time about thinking about risk ahead of time before those early adopters come. And that really sets the whole trajectory, um, not just for fraud, but for trust. Because on the flip side, there are some fintech companies focusing on consumers that have come right out the gate and not stopped that fraud. Oftentimes it's because they care more about growth and and number of accounts because of where they are in their startup journey than they do risk and and all of that. But I'm just finding that... um, those companies, not only do they have an uphill battle to try to catch up with the fraud, but also there's a consumer trust element to that, right? And there's a, do, can customers trust companies that are fairly synonymous with fraud? I mean, one very simple example would be Bitcoin. That's one that, you know, everyone knows, right? Like I think for the longest time, people assumed that Bitcoin was only for money launders and, and you know, whatever. and and ransomware and all that. And that still happens, but it took a while for it to get a little bit more adopted Adopt. as yeah. By like the good guys, so to speak. Uh,
1: yes, definitely. And I think um, I, I mean, there are things I can share of, of what I see when I work with um, what, with, with fintech startups and I've them develop like their risk strategy. Uh, and, and especially now I, I think, that I'm working with multiple companies at the same time, and they're able to see like similar problems coming up multiple times and from different approaches. Um, so I think there are a few things that are important to keep in mind, especially as you're interacting with them. One is that that um, usually these companies are are like um on the one hand, are very thread fairbred, threadbare, threadbare. Um so that like the amount of like the size of the teams the experience of the teams
2: that
1: the the experience of the teams with the product that they're working on that are usually um, um, uh, not as mature as they would be in two three years for the company and and are not as mature as other companies in the space are because they're starting up they're building things they're um, a lot sometimes trying to innovate or trying to do things differently but and sometimes that like they're still figuring it out and yeah. the flip side of that is they don't have as much control as people think on their own risk management and fraud prevention because yeah in most cases they're working with um financial partners and vendors that might be dictated to them and criteria that might be dictated to them hmm. at, at, at the start and um and I've definitely seen this on the chargebacks and disputes even more than anything else, because hmm. in most cases, that's something that a lot of these fintechs say, we'll worry about that as like a, a second or third stage.
2: Mm-hmm. In the
1: meantime, we're going to just leverage a legacy vendor that is, is um, that has enough credibility in the industry, but that basically means that they're giving up their control on it and, 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 the, the vendor doesn't have the full access to the full information right like right isn't able to see trends and doesn't think about their company especially once it's still a small company and they still mm-hmm. have a lot of volume at at the same levels and scales they would of like their entire program um so all of those things take a lot of control out of their hand and they need to work in like uh, like increments and then in limit and in, in like limited capabilities to build build up a stack of defenses. And if you the way I tend to think of risk strategies is that it's like like a mesh layer of of safety nets. Mm, mm-hmm. One on top of each other mm-hmm. on top of each other. That like each each net closes more of the holes in the previous net until you get a a fairly secure uh, system. And, and and most of the companies I work with the point is that that first net you have to put into place is around client acquisition. You have to keep as many Mm. of the bad actors out before they even get in. Otherwise, you're just playing an app like you're working on an uphill battle that you can't get out of. Absolutely, and and that's because on
0: your uh, end, they're applying the client client acquisition in fintech primarily, like for neobanks, for lending, for all that. Are it's not the same as account sign up on an e commerce website, right? Like it's you're they're applying to be part of it, and you're not just looking for identity theft and people that are saying that they aren't who they say they are, or you know, that who aren't who they say they are, uh, but you're also looking for people who won't repay, right? So you have to go through a significant process, and I think, um That's where you also have to be on the lookout for signals of what, what is bust out fraud? What is, what is, you know, synthetic look like, is this more like first party fraud? Is this intentional as they go through that process? I think that's a really good point. I just kind of wanted to put an exclamation point on because you're, it's not just in e-commerce. We look at growth. Like we want as many accounts as possible, but anyone can create an account. There's not as much of a gating system there. There are definitely very, you know, always going to be exceptions to that rule, but for the most part. So that's, I'm really glad that you, you know, so that you see it in two steps, right? Like first they're asking to be a part of it and to get services. How do you, you know, measure that? So that's important.
1: Yeah. And, and I think it it has such a like spiraling or, or snowballing.
2: Type mm-hmm. of
1: if, yeah. if, if, if you don't do that, where, because they will let other fraudsters know they will publish methods about your company they will as a financial institution that can be exploited and Mm -hmm. and they will poke every hole in your system and they will so the the way to put control so that you're able to build that good base of clients that will like even out your program and allow you to have a baseline of what is good that you can later compare Hmm. to other things is to make sure you have good controls on yeah. who you're letting through the gate at the start. And usually that's my like first advice to everyone is, well, how are you doing at just keeping out bad actors? And if you're not where you should be at the stage of growth you're at, put all of your efforts there before you start building much more sophisticated defenses at the mm. transaction level and identifying, oh, wait, this is a Bitcoin transaction versus a because there there's a lot more nuance and complexity right? Um, so Hmm. yeah um yeah and then from there you move to transactions to chargebacks disputes um collections and credit and in some cases like you said a lot of times like you have to take into mind in mind like a credit a credit decision and not just even for a bank you're when someone deposits a check and you're giving them the value of that check two days before you actually get mm. the value of the check back from yep. from the other bank. That is in that's part a, a credit that's decision. That's a trust
0: transaction.
1: Yeah. That is a credit decision. Yeah. So um so those are all things that can be very helpful, but mm. are are second to acquisition. And then the other part of that is just building a combination of um of tools and scores and automation and manual work. And and being able to have access to as much um, as much abilities, so basically having a, the way I view it is like like the tool belt, like mm-hmm. or, or, or Batman's utility belt, or whatever kind of imagery you would like to have that of uh, just have as many things in your belt as possible, right? So that you're um, you're able to apply the right solution to the right or in the right method the right problem um so i I think that's how i like
0: yeah well we're no surprise we're very aligned in all of that uh i also really believe in a layered approach and i think adding layers while some people are like "Ah, it's expensive it actually if you do it the right way you're you're not it's like a funnel right you're not adding those layers on every single one And it actually, what I found in a lot of cases is that when you implement the right risk stack, the right risk strategy, and it's a combination between technology and processes and and using them the right way and the right signals, you can actually increase customer acquisition. You can increase customer sales because you have less false declines, because you're looking at, at various different things. You're not just putting, and you're not just putting your eggs all in one basket either. And especially when it comes to credit and risk and finance and all that, like, they're, I would imagine it's a little bit more accepted that this needs to happen, um, maybe more so than in e-commerce sometimes.
1: Yeah, though, I think the, the same concept, right? Where the earlier you can spot the bad actors, the better user experience you can give to the good actors. Absolutely. So mm. You can give a larger chunk of your, Uh, e-commerce customers buy now pay later for example Mm -hmm. if you know that that you didn't allow your bad actors to get to that point anyway um uh, because obviously bad like bad actors are a much higher risk in buy now pay later than good actors who just will have a problem paying Uh, right and um so so very similar concept apply on on the fintech side
0: yeah no, hundred percent. And I think there's always the, that push pull, uh, that, you know, just makes the puzzle a little bit more, uh, intricate and fun, so to speak. <laughs> uh, so I think I'm going to need to have you come back to really talk through, uh, this new concept of, of fraud fighting that you're seeing on the FinTech side, because I want to be able to dive into it more. And I just have a feel it, like time-wise. Um, so i I think we should do that at another date, probably early 2022, but um, I wanted to, you know, ask as you're moving from, actually, no. So since we're scrapping that, I would actually love to go back to what you said earlier about how you have fun stories because, you know, fraud fighters love fun stories. So I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but whether it's, you know, from your time at PayPal, your time at Bluevine, your time advising these new startups in fintech, uh, what are some memorable fraud stories you have <laughs> i can keep talking if you want to give me a minute
1: that that is that i mean we we had a few different ones one was like of like we we had like organized crime in southern mm. los, los angeles attack like most of the industry not just uh, in a very meaningful way back in like the second half of 2017 and a lot of the industry reacted to it. That was like a major event, but mm-hmm. uh, I think my funnest story and the one that like I, I personally you like, pull
0: out at parties.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, is um, the cryptocurrency dentist. So w- we had a dentist applying for a loan who was, um, who this was the actual dentist with like uh um that that like owned um a, a dentistry and then mm-hmm. with, um and he um, manipulated our contract. So he got approved for the loan, and then he manipulated our contracts. So he um, edited them to say that. Um, he'll be able to pay uh with cryptocurrency and specifically with a cryptocurrency coin who was that was as dodgy as a cryptocurrency currency can be <laughs> this was not one of the top like well uh like well respected right. this this is uh, like extremely edge type coin that um apparently he had some assets with and didn't know what to do w- with those assets so and then he he tried to manipulate, not just on Blue side, but with other uh, with other lenders, he tried to manipulate the various um, um, um support staff or, or or sales teams to accept this adjusted contract <laughs> by having, by basically saying, here, I signed your contract and I'm sending it back to you. Is that okay? Without saying he edited it. Oh wow. And, and 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 of um, course
0: life moves fast right like you don't yeah. assume somebody's going to edit a contract so that, right so that's right. an
1: amazing social engineering <laughs> approach and then wow. and, and then like cleaned out did that bust out event of cleaning out his bank account not like taking as many loans from as many lenders as he could cleaning <laughs> out his bank account and then um and then he emailed us when we started collection activity and mm-hmm. uh, emailed us saying well Here's my crypto wallet. You can take money from it.
2: Wow. Or you can take you right, can take right.
1: those coins from it and, and take that as your payment. Here's what this coin is worth. So this is covers my loan. Not a problem. And yeah, that was But you so probably was, didn't even have a way a method of processing no, that, that because what,
0: it wasn't an accepted form of payment.
1: It, also not something we can accept, not <laughs> it's like not a coin right. we can do not anything regulated with. right. There's everything about it was completely off. This was very much a case of of, of fraud, mm-hmm. right? Like that he was not um legitimately trying to pay off his debt. He was trying to abuse the system and but it was such audacity, I think. <laughs> yeah. Of, like, with his own identity not hiding behind oh anything. wow
0: really,
1: yeah really like fully doing this uh, out out in the open that was like
0: he probably didn't one, consider himself doing fraud i mean he was a business person he you know like this is just how he wanted to do it i mean there's definitely I, some I, <laughs> narcissism I, I, involved in these types of things to have that much audacity i would assume
1: i i i i i i'm suspecting that like he had at, at least some not because because he cleaned out the bank account very quickly,
2: mm-hmm. like
1: he knew he was doing something right. He, right that like right, he wasn't right um,
0: in his core. I'm sure he knew he was doing something wrong, but he probably justified it in some way. I guess that's what I was saying, which a lot of fraudsters do. That doesn't yeah. mean they're innocent. It means in their head, they're able to justify their bad behavior.
1: Yeah. And, and there are some like when you go and you hear some like of the like black hat talks, of Mm -hmm. of people who committed um, tax fraud and and white-collar crimes and things like that, a lot of times what they'll tell you is, I was desperate, and I thought, I will do this, and then I will make it up in some way, and it will be okay. I'll cross this one extra line. I'll find a way to make it up later. I will make it okay. And then it just, the hole gets deeper and deeper and deeper, and you're never able to make it up.
0: Yeah, no, hundred percent. (laughs) That's, I don't know what it is about dentists. I actually, my former dentist uh, committed like wire fraud and uh, money laundering and had to leave the state very quickly in a very odd way. Like I just, and and they didn't say anything to anyone. So I just came in and there was a new dentist in the practice. (laughs) It's like, wait a second, what? (laughs) And then within my neighborhood, within Seattle, which is, you know, large but small uh other people you know shared with me what what had happened but it was almost like he moved in the middle of the night uh just and sold his practice very quickly to someone else and there were a lot of issues that they had to, like they couldn't they couldn't accept credit for a while because he had like stolen it like they couldn't accept wow. um like the you know there's like the loans for dental stuff and everything yeah Um, They couldn't accept that for a long time because he had ruined the reputation so much. (laughs) So I don't know. Maybe it's a dentist thing.
1: (laughs) I, I, I would like like my my lawyer brother would this is where he would interject and say, We have, like, we are not implying dentists are fraudsters or in any (laughs) way. No,
2: no,
0: no, 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 (laughs) no. There are two individuals that are dentists. It's just correlated. (laughs) There's probably not causation there. You're absolutely right. We should have, like, a disclaimer. (laughs) Uh, Maybe it's also because I have, you know, (laughs) I do feel like (laughs) dentists charge so much money, but that's a whole other side topic. Yeah. not related to this um but you know that's a that's a really fascinating story and one that you just wouldn't think of and that's something that's kind of fun too about frog fighting is that you're constantly like what are they trying you trying to figure out intentions and sometimes they can be very creative
2: yes That
0: is certainly true. Well, Gil, I know that we could and we will probably talk a lot more, and I'd love to have you back sometime soon uh, to talk more about some of the themes you're seeing in fintech. I think that's really important. Uh, The only reason we're not doing it now is just because, you know, I know, especially during the holidays, nobody has like two hours to listen to a podcast, but I'm excited to have you share that with my listeners because I think that you and I both, and I think especially it's been fun to kind of see this on the sidelines over the last several months of you working with, you know, several different companies is that you start to see these themes and you start to see this high level 10,000 foot view where you're like, oh, I'm starting to see this impact multiple companies. And this is more of a thing than just a a one-off and, uh, It it can be really fun to kind of not just pontificate, but really talk about it and almost be like the weather person and be like, hey, this is something to watch out for. And that's something I know my listeners enjoy. enjoy. So that is something for them to look forward to the next time that they see you on this podcast. But uh, is there anything else you want to share with the listeners before uh, we go for today?
1: No, I think that this was uh, a lot of fun and I'd love to come back and I would love um, to have you back. And, and uh, again, th- thank you for um, for the time and the opportunity. And, oh my gosh! Um, no,
0: thank you, and seriously, thank you for being so understanding <laughs> that was my crazy schedule lately. Of course,
1: and and um, and happy holidays! Yes. What, all of the holidays coming
0: up. Yes, all of the all of them. Yes, that absolutely. <laughs> you as well. And uh, I will be putting your LinkedIn uh profile into the show notes. So if anyone would like to reach out to you or ask you questions, they definitely can. And I have a, a well-engaged audience, so I'm sure you'll hear from lots of them. And um, it's always my favorite thing to highlight people that people don't know, but they should. So thank you so much for coming on today. And like I said, we will definitely have you back soon to really dive deep into what you're
2: seeing on that 10,000 foot view.